We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. You see, living for Jesus really does require that you make a decision, that I make a decision, that nothing and no one is going to turn me away from the truth that's been revealed through Him into my life. Regardless of the circumstances, no matter how difficult life may be or become, I've decided to follow Jesus. In the day and the age in which we live, if you haven't placed that determination deep within your soul, if it isn't a part of you, ingrained in your DNA, then I assure you, when times get rough, you're going to be looking for the chicken exit. But if you'll say this morning, I've decided, nothing's going to turn me away. I will not turn back. I'm going to follow Him with all that is within me. By the power of the Holy Ghost of God, He's going to see you through to victory. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back from 1 Peter chapter 1. But again in verse 1, Peter writes it this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to His abundant mercy, who according to His abundant mercy, you need to hear that again, who according to His abundant mercy, you can't do it, I can't do it, but through the mercy of God, displayed through the grace of God, listen to it, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope. A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are kept by the power of God. Oh, you need to underline that in your Bible when you open it in just a moment. You who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, now in Jesus' name, Put me on like a coat and wear me. Let God speak through me today, I pray. Challenge and stir the heart of your people. And let individuals in this room determine today that no matter what I face, what I encounter, how bleak or how dark the future may look, I have decided to follow Jesus. And I'm going to stand in His mercy. And I'm going to live in His grace. And He will sustain me. He will carry me. Move in our lives this morning. Do your work in this body. In Jesus' name I pray. You may be seated. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes. Actually, I told Yvonne last night, I've got a problem. I've got three hours worth of sermon. 
and only 30 minutes to deliver it. So I promise I'm not going to give you it all. I'm just thankful today we don't have a balcony. So somebody goes to sleep, falls out of it and dies. And we have to raise them from the dead. I'm glad today that God is in this place and he's moving in our hearts and in our lives. Open your heart and receive the word today for the word brings life and brings change to you and me. The text that we have just read was written about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter was writing to encourage the church that had been dispersed, that had been scattered throughout Asia Minor. You may remember that as you read the book of Acts, great persecution came against the disciples in Jerusalem, and they scattered. They were dispersed back to their home regions and areas. Peter, knowing that they're struggling, they're having a difficult time because leaving Jerusalem didn't stop the persecution. It continued when they got where they were going. So he's writing to encourage these Christians. And as you read the entirety of 1 Peter, you'll see he talks about the fact that they were abused by their bosses or their employers. They were threatened by unbelieving spouses. They were ridiculed by skeptical neighbors and associates. Their horizon was very, very dark. Their life was very, very difficult. They didn't know what to do. So Peter begins to write these words of encouragement. Matter of fact, if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and read verses 12 through 18, you'll see it's going to get worse before it gets better. He said, don't be surprised by the fiery trials that are going to come against you. He's telling us that things get worse before they get better. He begins to tell us that the only thing that will see us through a dark world is a living hope. A hope placed within us by the love, the grace, the mercy, the presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. The only thing that will give us the fuel to be overcomers and conquerors in a dark world is the presence of God in our life, reminding us of His promises. We know that that living hope, according to Hebrews chapter 6, is the anchor of our soul. It helps us to stay tied fast to Jesus Christ. So this morning I encourage you, take another dose of hope. Get another round of hope. Let your spirit be filled with hope. We look around us and there's not a lot to hope for. So that's why we don't look out, but we look up because our hope is in the Lord and His promises are steadfast and sure in and over our lives. Think about that anchor. Let me read Hebrews six seventeen through 24 to you. Reading from the message, the writer says, When God wanted to guarantee His promises... He gave His Word a rock-solid guarantee. What does that tell me? That tells me when I don't know what to do, I turn to the book. When I don't know which way to go, I turn to the book. When I don't understand my circumstance, I turn to the book. And I read one more time the promises that God gave to me from His Scripture. When I'm afraid, I turn to the book. When I'm broke, I turn to the book. When I'm sick, I turn to the book. When I'm cast out, I turn to the book. When I'm persecuted and forsaken, I turn to the book. Because God honors His promises and keeps them over our lives. When God wanted to guarantee His promises, He gave His Word. A rock-solid guarantee. And I love verse 8. God can't break His Word. And because His Word can't change... The promise is likewise unchangeable. Somebody in this room needs to hear that this morning. 
You have grabbed hold of a promise from God and you said it's never going to happen. I'm not seeing it come to pass. And the Spirit of God is saying to you this morning, if God declared it, God will make it to come to pass. God's promises are unchangeable. Oh, it's good to know my name's written in the Lamb's book of life and it doesn't matter what I walk through. His promise is unchangeable. His grace covers me. Somebody say amen. His promises are unchangeable. God can't break His Word. And His Word cannot change, and the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. And then if you read it from the King James in verse 19, it says, Hope is the anchor of the soul. In the message, it says it is the unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. Oh, I wish this morning I had a rope. I should have thought about this, but I didn't. And I could throw it out to you and illustrate to you the fact that when you grab a hold of that lifeline called hope that's anchored securely in the Father, it doesn't matter how big the waves are, how violent the wind is, how ferocious the rain may fall. If you hang on to that lifeline, God will see you through. God will pull you through. It's an absolute promise. It's a guarantee. That's what verse 16 tells us. He says it's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus, running on ahead of us, has taken up his permanent post as high priest in the order of Melchizedek. When I read those scriptures, it reminds me it doesn't matter how dark society may be. It doesn't matter how adverse to Christianity our culture may become. It doesn't matter who in our federal government deems us the most dangerous group in America as fundamental Christians. If I hang on to that lifeline, God is going to see me through. If I hang on to that lifeline, I'm going to be successful and victorious. If I hang on to that lifeline, one day the anchor of my hope will result in eternal life in heaven with God the Father. If I choose to hang on to that lifeline. You see, we need to understand that storms and trials are the norm for believers. If we don't understand that, then every time something goes wrong, we give up. We give in. We fall down. We fold. We've got to understand that if you're going to live godly for Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution is what the Word says. It's going to happen. It's as sure as uh, today. If that gives way, and if we lose our hope, and we get lose that way, then we've lost everything. Everything. When you look back through the pagan writers that were contemporaries of the apostles, you'll notice that the word hope is often used as that anchor or that lifeline. It's compared to, to uh, the thing that gets us through. Socrates even said to ground hope on a false supposition is like trusting to a weak anchor. I've got news for you today. Jesus Christ died and rose again today, and today He sits at the right hand of the Father. That is not a weak supposition. That is not a false hope. That is a fact proven through history, a fact recorded by the disciples and modern-day historians in that day and in that time. Jesus is alive. And you can anchor your life to that truth. Peter says when we have this hope, it's a lively hope, a living hope, as opposed to a dead hope, as opposed to a cold hope, as opposed to something that has no power, that is inoperative. 
He's saying that the hope we have in Jesus Christ is alive. And because it's alive, and it's a spiritual lifeline directly to the Father, because of that, you and I will receive strength and power and grace and mercy and direction as we continue to follow Him. We know we're living in an anti-Christian society. Many people today call it a post-Christian society. Use whatever term you want to use, but you need to understand the day in which we live is very much like the day in which the first century apostles lived as well. Now, we're seeing it all around us. We're seeing the evidence of persecution throughout uh, the Mideast, throughout Asia, many parts of Africa, where people are being, being executed for one reason only. That is, they serve Jesus Christ. They're not bad people. They're not criminals. They're not bad neighbors. They name the name of Jesus and refuse to recant what he's done in their life. And because of that, their lives are being demanded of them, taken from them. Listen to me. When your life is in jeopardy, when your marriage is in jeopardy, when your job is in jeopardy, when you don't know what tomorrow may hold, the only thing you can cling to is my hope in the promises of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you this for sure. Every person you know at one time will fail you or disappoint you. Every institution on this planet will fail and fall at some point or another. But there is one name that will never fail. One name that will never fall. One power that will never be vanquished. One authority that will never submit to another. And that is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who was dead and now is alive again and lives forevermore. That's where your hope needs to be placed this morning. When you're in jeopardy, when you're living in a place of darkness, put your hope in the living God. Put your faith in the one who cannot fail. Put your faith in the one whose promises will be true, and that's a guarantee. People are looking for guarantees all around them today. They're looking for answers. I've got news for you. The only thing you can build your life on that will not fail is the rock of Jesus Christ. Don't build it on the sand. Build it on the rock. Build it upon the one who cannot fail. It's against his nature. It's not in his being to fail. He's the God who never fails. Build your life on him. Sometimes when the world is dark around us, it's difficult to continue pouring our lives out to others and investing in others. It takes a power that is greater than us to be the church in a dark world. It takes a power that is greater than you and me to be a witness and a light in a dark world. Oh, so many times, rather than running towards the darkness, we run towards the light. We retreat. We pull back. We don't want any part of that stuff that isn't pleasant to us. Oh, I've come to challenge you this morning. It's time to dig down deep in your soul, to stand on your feet and declare in your spirit, I've decided to follow Jesus and there's no turning back. It's time to look the devil and his minions square in the eye. And it's time to say, it doesn't matter what you planned. It doesn't matter what you think you're going to work against me. I've got news for you. You're under my feet. You're already defeated. The one who was alive and was dead and now is alive forevermore is living in me. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead moves through me today. So put that in your pipe, devil, and go back to hell and smoke it. Come on, somebody. It's time to stand up for Jesus Christ. In this day and in this time, God's looking for a church that is no longer content to meet for one hour on Sunday morning. 
God's looking for a church that is no longer satisfied with us four and no more. God's looking for a church that's not afraid to take a message of life and a message of hope and a message of grace and a message of mercy and a message of transformation into a darkened world. He's looking for a people who will stand up and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. No turning back. Oh, folks, listen to me. We got enough churches playing games. God's tired of that. Matter of fact, what did he say to the church of Laodicea? He said, I would that you were hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, because you're so wrapped up in paying your religious games, because you don't understand, I'm not about just getting by. I've got victory and power and life to flow into you, to flow through you, to touch those around you. Because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of your mouth. Listen to me. The day for carnal Christianity, if there ever was one, is gone. We're living in a dark world. We're living in a world that is opposed to fundamental Bible-believing Christianity. We're living in a world that sees us as their enemy. Oh, it's time to realize, friend, we can't be married to the world and pleasing to God. It's time to draw the line in the sand. And say, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know what I'm going to do. And it doesn't matter what old horns on his head throws at me. It doesn't matter what old slew foot says. It doesn't matter what that dude comes against me with. I have decided to follow Jesus. God, grow a backbone in us today. Give us strength and courage to stand. Don't let us be wishy-washy, mealy-mouthed, toast believers. But let us be a church who declares, I've decided... To follow Jesus. And there's no turning back. See, you need to understand if you make that decision, you are putting yourself in a place where you will be involved in battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. When you stand up and say, I've decided to follow Jesus, oh, horns on the head, he's going to draw an X right on your back. He says, I'm coming for that one. I'm going to take them down. I'm going to get them out of the way. But you know what the Word says. The Word says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The Word says, shortly shall Jesus bruise Satan under our feet. The Word says, he came to destroy the works of darkness. Oh, come on, somebody. When you make that decision, know you're in his sights. But you also need to know when you make that decision, he gives you the sword of the Spirit. He gives you the breastplate of righteousness. He covers your feet with the gospel of peace. He actually armors you and protects you to thrust you into the battle. You see, for too long, we've kept church in a building. God's not wanting church in a building. He's wanting church to touch our culture, to change our society. Do you know why our government hates us now? Because we have been quiet for so long, and anytime we start to speak up, then there's pushback. Oh, friend, you got to expect it. If you're going to stand for Jesus and live a righteous life, there's going to be pushback from the world. There's going to be those who come against you, who try to deflate you, who try to defeat you, who try to convince you, well, if I were really a born-again believer, all this mess wouldn't be happening to me. Can I tell you, maybe because you're a born-again believer, all this mess is happening to you. 
Because you've chosen to align your life for the living word of God, you're in for a fight. You're in for a battle. And you better determine right now, here today, that I will not be overcome. I will not be conquered. I will not be defeated because the Lord God Almighty is on my side. He's going before me. I am surrounded by an army of angels and no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. For that's my heritage as a servant of the Lord. It's time to recognize we live in a dark world that's opposed to the things of God. That's opposed to our mandate and to our mission. We need to understand that in the next, if Jesus tarries, in the next 25 years, you're not going to recognize the church of Jesus Christ. So I don't know what you mean by that. Well, stop just a moment. Do a brief history lesson. Think back, those of you who are old enough, and that's most of us in this room, think back to 2000. And think what the church was like in 2000. Think what society was like in 2000. Think what culture was like in 2000. Then fast forward 16 years and look at where we're at today. I'm telling you this morning that if Jesus tarries in 25 years, you won't recognize the church. The only churches meeting in buildings like this in large auditoriums are those that have been approved by the government, who have the stamp by the system upon their, their whatever you want to call it, who are not preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who choose to do that will be in house churches. They'll be meeting in groups. They'll be encouraging one another. Oh, friends, you say you're off the mark. Would you please just look at history? See what happened? Do you remember Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit was poured out? 3,000 people were saved in one day. You can read a couple chapters later, 5,000 more were added in one day. It was the first mega church. But notice what happened. When, when Rome and when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem saw what was going on, persecution began. And under the persecution, the saints were dispersed. You need to understand the thing, same thing happens again and again and again. The devil doesn't have any new tricks. He just rewashes the old ones again and again and again. So what he did to the first century church, he will do to the 21st century church. You can be assured of it. I see amazing parallels between the New Testament church in that first hundred years of its existence and where we're at today in America. They were in a heathen culture, a godless culture, a culture that worshipped idols. If you weren't here Wednesday night, you should have been. And if you don't come on Wednesday night, you should, because we're talking about prayer. We're talking about the fact that when Moses was on the mountain with God, that Aaron and the Israelites pulled off their gold earrings and their gold necklaces and their gold uh, bracelets, and they threw it in a fire, and voila, out came a golden calf. And God said, Moses... Those people that you brought out of Egypt are down there worshiping an idol. And Moses turned right around and said, God, those people that you brought out of Egypt are down there worshiping an idol. What am I saying? I'm saying that God was upset because his people built one aisle. But in America, we have a plethora of idols. We have more idols than we can count. More idols than we keep track of. We have often made fun of the, of the Hindus because they have 50,000 gods. I've got news for you. We have just as many in America that our culture is serving today. We need to understand there are so many similarities, so many parallels between then and now. So many things that are the same. 
Life had no value in the first century. Did you realize that? It was not an issue for Saul of Tarsus, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, the religious ruling party, to get warrants of arrest and even execution for members of the body of Christ. It wasn't a problem. It was easy because life had no value. If you didn't agree with me, you hold no value. Can I tell you, we live in a society since the 1970s that has placed no value on human life. Do you realize that it just makes me want to puke? The last week or so, some little boy fell into a gorilla enclosure in a zoo and they had to shoot the gorilla in order to save the boy. Nobody cared about the boy. All they cared about is somebody shot a stupid gorilla. Folks, it tells you there is no value in human life. At the same day that gorilla got shot, 3,000 babies were murdered. Oh, we don't call it murder. We've got a good word for it. We call it abortion. It makes it clean. It makes it sterile. It makes it non-offensive. 3,000. And nobody said a word about those 3,000 babies who died the same day somebody shot a stupid ape in the zoo. Tells us the culture we live in. Come on, folks. Wake up. Read the mail. See what's happening around you. Be alert. Be aware. This is the last days. And I've come to tell you this morning, if you don't dig in and dig down, if you don't fortify your faith with the Word of God and the Spirit of the living God, you may fold. But if you'll say today, I don't care what he throws against me. I don't care what the attack may look like. It doesn't matter what lie, what perversity. It doesn't matter how he tries to come against me. Whether it's family or finances or friends or reputation, I have decided to follow Jesus. And there's no turning back. No turning back. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 from the message says, Don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, now listen to these descriptive adverbs. People are going to be self-absorbed. Wow. If it doesn't please me, I'm not doing it. It's all about me. Self-absorbed. Money hungry. Greed is the fuel of America. You want to know why people want to be placed in the Senate or in the White House? It's, It's about greed. The money I can make in that position. I'm praying for godly men and women to rise up and fill those positions to turn our nation and to turn our country. I'm so thankful for Tina Pate who stood up and said, I want you to vote for me because I want to make a difference in Leon County. Come on, folks. When there's a godly person running for an office, you better support them. You better vote for them. You better give to their campaign so they can make a difference in our society. Money hungry. Self-promoting. Man, if there is a descriptive word that talks about the church today, that's it. Everywhere you look, there are preachers promoting themselves. Do we not understand it's not about me? It's about him. I'm not the important one. He's the important one. It's not about the size of the ministry we build or how many people are watching on TV or even online through the Internet. It's about Jesus Christ. And if he be lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. Self-promoting. Stuck up. Won't even talk to him. This happens in the church all the time. I've been here 43 years. I'm a charter member. I'm not talking to that person who just sat in my seat. They need to get up and move. Oh, can I tell you, there is no place for conceit and vainglory in the church of Jesus Christ. 
Let me say it this way. It's time to get over yourselves. You're really not that important. I got news for you. Jesus didn't say upon this rock. Now, I'm not going to name any names. Put your name in there. I'm going to build my church. No. He said upon the rock of who I am. The rock that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, don't misunderstand. We all have a role to play. We have a ministry to fulfill. We have a position and a place where we plug in and we are active and we are, we are a, a key to the growth of the kingdom of God. But it's not about us. It's always about Him. Profane. I'm going to read these next three together. Profane, contemptuous of parents, crude and coarse. I don't know if you've been to Walmart lately. If you haven't, why don't you take 30 minutes and walk through the aisles. Don't feed a buddy, you just walk around. And listen to how children talk to their parents. I don't know if you've hung out with an unsaved teenager lately or not. But spend 30 minutes and listen to them talk. Listen, I'm telling you, our society is worse than sailors in the way we talk. It's appalling. We are coarse. We are crude. It goes on to say we're dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderers. Some folks in our society would rather lie than tell the truth. Even when the truth is more expedient, they choose to lie. And what they're lying about is you and me. Slanders. Oh, and you want to know something else? Some of those folks are in the church. So don't be surprised when that happens. You stand up and say, I don't care what you say. I know what the Lord has said. And the Lord says, I am redeemed. I am covered by grace. I am a son of the living God. And your words have no effect on my future and my destiny because I already decided I'm going to follow Jesus. No turning back. He's on to say impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags. Can I take five minutes and tell you how wonderful I am? That's what that means. Let me talk about myself. Let me tell you how good I am. Let me tell you all I've done for the kingdom of God. Come on, folks. Let me say it again. It's not about you. It's about him. We need to spend an hour talking about Jesus and 10 seconds talking about us. Addicted to lust. Wow. If you haven't watched television lately, turn it on. Addicted to lust. Look at the stuff playing in the movie theater. Addicted to lust. And then the last one, allergic to God. You wonder why people are repulsed by evangelical Christianity? Paul told us right here. Because they're allergic to God. They are reacting against Him. That's what allergic means. You are reacting against that force. They are reacting against God. They are allergic to the presence, the peace, the power of a living God. They have rejected Him and want no part of Him. Allergic to God. And then it goes on to say, and I like the way it reads from the King James rather than from the message, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The message says they make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Stay clear of these people. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Listen to me, folks. It's happening in America right now. The church is having to decide, are we going to follow the whim of culture and the direction of society, 
Oh, let me tell you something, and please don't be offended by this. God loves everybody, and He loves them so He can bring grace and mercy and salvation. So it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you've been. That song is absolutely true. If you come to Jesus, you are covered. Covered. And the good news is, when you're living a sinful lifestyle and you come to Jesus, not only does grace cover you, but His power infuses you and changes you. That's the piece we're missing. That's what we're overlooking. You see, when our government said that we have to have same-sex or gender-identifying bathrooms in all of our schools and locker rooms and use civil rights as the issue, i got to tell you, Martin Luther King rolled over in his grave. That is not what civil rights is all about. Oh, come on, church, we need to understand right now, churches in America, and I'm going to go ahead and name them, The Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, the Lutherans, the Methodists are fighting this battle within their ranks. Do we accept? Do we embrace? Do we have homosexual or lesbian priests and ministers? How do we deal with this issue? I'm here to tell you that is an issue of having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And I don't mean to offend anyone. You need to understand there's hope. Jesus still wants to redeem and rescue and bring out. And I believe you can be a Holy Ghost-filled Presbyterian and a Holy Ghost-filled Episcopalian and a Holy Ghost-filled Methodist. I believe with all of my heart you can pursue God in that arena and in that form. But if you fall to the lie of the enemy, you have a form of godliness and you deny the power thereof. It's time to recognize today the society in which we live. It's a society that is dark, dark, dark. It's dark. That's just the introduction to this message. But it's where I'm going to quit today. We got some more. Matter of fact, you had an outline in the back of your CHC today. We didn't even get to point number one. Guess what you're going to hear next week? Yeah, it's coming on down the pike. You begin praying and you begin inviting and you bring everybody you know that's trapped in darkness because I'm telling you, next Sunday, the chains are going to be broken off. The bound are going to be set free. The lost are going to be saved. God is going to move in this place because when the church says, I have decided to follow Jesus, I have determined to have hope, a living hope in a dark world, things begin to happen. In the kingdom of God. Stand your feet with me across this place. Tom, would you come back please? I want you to sing that song one more time. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. We're going to sing it out one time. I want you to get it into your spirit. I want you to make it your battle cry today. I have decided to follow Jesus. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.